Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. A journalist who always has a little too much information. And then we take a look at a murderer who was caught via the testimony of his victim's ghost. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Getting cold, getting cold, but there's no snow. I'll accept that compromise. I'll take cold as long as there's no snow involved. So nature, shake on it. I'm shaking hand with air, and technically air is nature. There we go. Deal. No more snow. You heard it here first, Dead Rabbit Radio. Gotta find my notes here. Oh, here we go. They're on my computer, where they always are. Okay, let's go ahead and take a look at our first story now. This one, we are going to Macedonia. Let's go ahead and hop in the Carpenter Copter, simply because I have no idea where Macedonia is. I think it's somewhere around Greece, but I don't know where that is either. Which, okay, Greece, I guess, is near Italy, because that's where Rome was. The Greeks were like uh, islands, right? Like Mamma Mia. So we're going, We're first off, we're just going to fly around until we see a bunch of people singing and dancing to... ABBA songs, and we're like, okay, there's Greece. And then we're going to keep heading east. East is the least. West is the best. Has anyone ever figured that out before? Did I just come up with the best slogan ever? East is the least. West is the best. And before I get accused of racism, you can also use it for high schools, like the East Side Wildcats and their rivals, the West Side Wildcats. But anyways, okay, East is the least. I've never heard that before. That's awesome. You heard that first again on Dead Rabbit Radio. We're going to Macedonia, the early 2000s. And there's a young reporter there named Vlado Tansky. Vlado Tansky. Now, Vlado had been a journalist for 20 years, and he was really well-known in the city. I mean, it wasn't like there weren't paparazzi chasing him. Technically, the paparazzi would just be the cameraman who worked for the newspaper walking by him on the way to work. Hey, Vlado. Vlado, what a name. Vlado. Anyways, I want to make, I want to pick on this guy for that name. Vlado worked for the newspaper for about 20 years. He's very well connected. People knew who he was. He was a hard-hitting journalist. And there, a string of murders began happening in the city of Kis- Kikvo. No, Kik- Kikivo. Kikivo. We'll call it Kikivo. There's some weird little thing above the eye, not the dot. It's like a little line, or maybe it's above the sea, I don't know. But anyways, we're going to call it Kikivo. Sounds like a Snuggles character. It sounds like a popple, I mean. It sounds like a 1980s, I want to hug Kikivo. Kikivo. Anyways, we're going to talk, and so their city is called Kiki. It's not called Kikivo, but we're going to call it Kikivo. Vlado works in Kikivo in the early 2000s, because it kind of spans this time period. 64-year-old woman is... Trigger warning, I guess. It's just a 64-year-old woman is raped, beaten, and strangled. 
a horrible crime. Absolutely horrible crime. Everyone's like, but two guys are found guilty because they had previously been charged or found guilty of a previous murder. Two guys are found guilty of this. And Vlado goes to the trial. Vlado attends the trial and reports on it the whole time. So a short time later, a 56-year-old woman, her body parts are found in various dumping sites, like, like garbage dumps. Everyone's like, oh my god. But the people who killed the other old chick, they're, they're in jail. So this must just be something totally random. A short time after that, a 65-year-old woman raped and uh, stabbed to death a bunch of times in the head. And at this point, Vlado starts calling for an investigation into a serial killer that he dubs the Kikivo Monster. Kikivo Monster. And he, no one had thought it was a serial killer at this point. People thought the first one was the two dudes and these other two were completely unrelated. But Vlado is like, no, there's a serial killer on the loose of the streets of Kikivo. And everyone giggles. He's like, I know the name's stupid. Just, just go with me. The mayor of Kikivo can't even keep a straight face. He's like, there is a murderer on the streets of Kikivo. We got to figure out what's going on. The police start to think, hmm, this is kind of, kind of weird because we didn't think there was a serial killer. This guy might be right. This journalist might be right. But the Vlado starts, like, talking trash about the police in the newspaper, saying oh, they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know there's a serial killer. He also would go to the victim's families and ask them detailed questions about the victim. Now, both of those things are not suspicious in and of themselves. The media tends to kind of look down on law enforcement or organized government in whatever fashion it's never good enough or that's outright corrupt and i'm not saying either of those are true or false but they tend to have a bias towards that the idea of going to a victim's family and trying to figure out who the victim is that's kind of what journalists do so the cops are like well yeah he's kind of asking like the questions are a little more detailed than you would think but that's not what made the cops suspicious what made the cops suspicious was that vlado began reporting stuff in his articles that the police had not released to the public. Vlado was putting stuff in his articles that only the killer would know. So it wasn't just that he's like, oh, the place smelled like rotten eggs. And the cops are like, how did he know that? One of the lines that he put in one of his articles was this woman who had been strangled. It said, the body had been tied up with a piece of phone cable with which the woman had clearly been previously strangled. And the cops are like, how in the world would the reporter know that? We don't even think we knew that. We hadn't made that connection yet. And he reports that. So they go and they get a DNA sample from him. They say, hey, you know, can we get a DNA sample from you? Now, he says yes, which is weird because he shouldn't have because the DNA sample came back that he was the killer. He was in jail for a few days. And he drowns himself in a bucket of water. And they show a photo of the bucket of water on the website. And he leaves a note that says, quote, I did not commit these murders, unquote. Was he framed by the police? Most likely not. Most likely not. It seems like it might be all coincidental information. I mean, uh, circumstantial evidence that, you know, he had like this. Like, he, he's the one who named the serial killer. He's the one who connected the serial killings, the killings together in the first place. He knew details about the crimes, his DNA matched. Technically, you could say a lot of that stuff was, so maybe someone in the police was giving him that information to kind of set him up 
But there's nothing really in his 20 years of writing that would suggest that someone would want to set him up. And I guess the murder stopped when he died. So it is funny, now that I think about it, I wonder what happened to those two guys who got convicted of that first woman's murder. Because, you know what, they're probably still in jail. Because, again, he didn't confess to any of it. He never, like, got them... He never said, I did that. So he got the scoop of a lifetime. The bath of a death time. Oh, that was terrible. Two people are still in prison for a crime he probably committed. Weird. Weird story. And it's almost something that you would see in a movie. And there have been movies about, not him in particular, but about a journalist or a painter. I've seen pictures about painters. I mean, I've seen movies about painters who are like, I need to have inspiration, so they start chopping people up. I think it's a pretty normal story about like a guy who... Nightcrawler was kind of like that. A guy being pushed to the edge. What's weird, though, is that this guy seemed pretty normal throughout his career until this happened. So that makes me even think a little more. Was he set up by somebody else? Or was this guy a killer for longer and was never discovered and finally wanted to get recognition not just on the front page, but in the courthouse? But that's Wash either because he killed himself. I don't know. It's a weird, but it's, it's a weird setup. It's a weird story. And But that's it. No one's looking into it now. They just go, ah, oh, he did it, and he drowned. Maybe it was a setup. I don't know. I probably have to look into it a little more. I didn't think about that. Okay, let's. if I find out anything more about this guy as far as like some sort of conspiracy, I'll jump back on it. But for right now, though, we are going to jump into our next story. Now, our next story is kind of along the same lines because it involves a murder. But this one also involves spooky... Actually, it's not a spooky ghost. It's quite friendly. The year is 1977. A year after I was born. Imagine me as a one-year-old baby with my first microphone in my crib. That's what those things are called. Sometimes I feel like an alien that I can't pronounce normal words and forget what... Anyways. The year is 1977. It's a chilly February in the city of Chicago. Chicago. Illinois. In case you didn't know that. We are going to join a middle-aged woman. Man, this episode is full of old women. We're going to join this woman. She's in her... uh, I guess I should have written it down. But she's like in her like late 50s, early 60s. Her name is Teresa Bassa. She works at a hospital. Now, she was talking to one of her friends, and she they're like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And she's like, ah, I'm having a friend over tonight. We're just going to kind of chill. Ooh, is it a romance? No, silly, we're just friends. And so, um, I don't know where that came from. Anyways, Teresa said goodbye to, <laughs> goodbye to her friend. Goodbye. And her friend's like, bye. And they just kind of wave at each other for a while. Teresa Bassa goes on later that night. It's not a flood or an explosion. Well, kind of. It's a fire in her apartment. Firefighters rush to the scene. Woo, 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 woo. Pull out their hose. Okay, anyways. This episode's totally gone off the rails. Sweep, sweep left to right, left to right. Aim for the base. I know how to put out a fire. That goes on. That goes on for longer than it's supposed to. Put the fire out, and they're like, whew, we did our job. We, us firemen fought another fire. And then they notice something weird in the burned-out apartment. They're like, that's weird. That mattress looks kind of lumpy. They flip the mattress off, and there is a woman, a dead, naked woman, 
I think she was naked. That just might be my imagination. But anyways, this dead woman has a butcher knife plunged through her chest. And the firefighter goes, dum dum. And then they cut the credit scene. And now we're back to Teresa uh, Teresita was her name. I don't know if I pronounced it right earlier. This episode's totally gone. Teresita, knife in her chest. The police come. They're like, firefighters are all grossed out because there's this dead woman there. Police show up. They find a note among her room, her apartment, that didn't burn. Very cryptically, just says, get ticket for A.S. Have no idea what that means. They think maybe it's for the ticket. So maybe it's for a concert. Maybe they're going to go see Alvin and Simon, but Theodore isn't going to be there. And the cops are like, no! Jim Monks played last month. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Theodore was there. He's like, yeah, yeah. Two months pass. Wait, no. Oh, Jesus Christ. February, March, April, May, June, July. Eight months pass. <laughs> Eight months pass. And the detective who's working on the murder case of Teresita gets a phone call from Evanston Police Department, which is another nearby town in Illinois. And the Evanston police go, hey, you guys are working that Teresita murder, right? Yeah. You have any leads yet now? We just have a note. You haven't seen the chipmunks lately, have you? And the other cop's like, well, I saw him when they were here a couple months ago. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you, you haven't seen him around town. No, no, no. But... What do you know about Alan Showery? And the lead homicide detective goes, I have not heard that name. Those initials seem very suspicious. Tell me more. And that's when the Evanston police goes, mm, I can tell you more, but you're not going to believe me. What was going on? So what was going on is there was a woman in Evanston who used to work in the same hospital where Teresita worked who she would be sitting at home with her husband. And I don't know if these two things connected, but both these women are Filipina. So I don't know if that's a connection. The the articles kind of said, well, maybe, but I don't think so. Because otherwise, if this was the case, these people would be talking to each other all the time. Um, (laughs) They do talk to each other all the time. I mean, when they're dead. So this other woman would be sitting at home with her husband. And all of a sudden, she went into a trance. And she's like, ooh. I'm Teresita. I'm Teresita Bassa, and I was murdered. I was murdered by Alan Shorey. And and she explained how she was killed through this other woman. She explained how she was killed. And she said that Alan stole her jewelry. And you will find him. And you'll find proof of it because my jewelry is there. And it kind of described the jewelry. And we're going to get back to that in a second, because that's kind of an important detail for the way the story develops. But at that point, the homicide detective was like, that's stupid. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, but I have nothing else to go off of. Alan Showery's initials matched the note. And Alan Showery also worked at the same hospital as Teresita and this other woman, whose name I didn't write down. So... The detective is like, well, we'll bring him in for questioning because, you know, we can do that. It may not be anything, but we'll go check it out. They go to Alan's house and they say, hey, just want to ask you a couple questions. Okay. Now, as the cops are looking around, they see that Alan's girlfriend, living girlfriend, was wearing jewelry similar to the jewelry that was described by the ghost. So we'll put a pin in that for a second. The cops are like, hmm, that's weird. 
she seems to be wearing some sort of gold band on her finger with some sort of gem on it. And that's what the ghost said. She seems to be wearing a chain of some sort of metallic substance around her neck, just like the ghost predicted. But anyway, so the police start asking. That's not why he gets convicted, or that's not why he gets arrested. But the cops start talking to Alan, and they're like, "Were you ever? Did you ever go to Teresita's house? And Alan's like, no. Never been to Teresita's house. Never been there. And as the investigation progressed, as the questions progressed, Alan eventually did admit, yes, he'd been to her house, but just to fix her television set. So at that point, the cops are like, now we know he's hiding something. He should have just said, I, yeah, I've been to her house once or twice. I went there to fix her television set, and that was it. And it's tragic what happened, and da-da-da-da-da. But once you lie and then get caught in the lie, now it's super, super suspicious. So they end up arresting him. Now, I don't know if they arrested him because he lied to them, or if they're like, they put in the arrest warrant, they're like, well, he lied to us, plus his wife was wearing vaguely described jewelry to us via a ghost. But anyways, they do arrest him. He goes to trial. Now, I think they probably had a little more evidence. I think they he didn't have an alibi and stuff like that. I don't think just the ghost saying this, but he did go to trial. It was declared a hung jury. They couldn't come to a decision. And then before he could go back to trial... He pled guilty. He pled guilty and got like a he 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 pled guilty to the murder, so he didn't get life. You know, he got a reduced sentence, stuff like that. Because that way, this this the legend goes that in his cell, the ghost of Teresita showed up and was like, "Confess, confess, get all of this off of your heart, and everything will be better." Or that his lawyer was just like, "You'll get a better plea deal." I think it was most likely the lawyer saying, "If you if you plea out, you'll have at least a chance of getting out at some point." Now, there's two two things to think about when we discuss this story. One is the jewelry thing. If the ghost just says, "I was killed by this person," and the cops just went there and talked to him and he lied, that's a little weird coincidence. The jewelry, I, I mean, when okay, when you have jewelry stolen from you. You just can't go to the cops and say, yeah, someone stole my diamond ring. You need to give a pretty good description of it. Like, are there any inscriptions on it? What's the cut of the diamond? I mean, they're not expecting you to know, like, the 4Ks and have the little monocular magnifying jeweler's eyepiece is what it's called or something like that. They're not expecting you to know that, but you should know if it's like a diamond-shaped diamond or a square-cut diamond or something like that. You just can't go in and go, I lost a, a diamond ring. What'd the band look like? I don't know. It was a ring. Do you have any diamond rings sitting around? It's probably mine. You can't do that. You lose your phone. You, the first thing the person behind the counter is going to ask is, what brand? Now, I don't think that this ghost was describing it being like, she had a pearl necklace with nine pearls, but one was slightly askew. It had a gold-silver band. Like, it never really gives us that information for what the jewelry looked like. It just seemed vague. I would assume, based on Teresita and the other woman's nationality, that it was probably traditional-esque jewelry. It wasn't like K-jeweler stuff. It wasn't stuff you... It was probably, like, more ornamental for that region of the planet. Philippines. But there was one article I read which was so funny because I had already read two articles about this. I always read the one to kind of take the notes and the other one to kind of back up what I'm looking at. Sometimes I'll look deeper into it. This was one of those ones because I was like, this is really like, I mean, they have court transcripts and stuff like that. Like, this really happened. But I was like, it's some weird stuff to it. Found a third article and they were saying, 
Oh, yeah. The ghost not only said Alan Showery did it, and that he did it for robbery, but that he gave the jewelry to the wife. It described the jewelry. It even gave the cops the phone numbers and addresses of the people involved. And I was like, that's ridiculous. That 100% did not happen at all. Because one, I didn't see it in any other article. And that information is so sensational, you would definitely put it in there. And two, if the ghost knows where you live, why isn't it just trash in your place? Like, if the go, it, why doesn't it possess his girlfriend and strangle him? Or possess his girlfriend and jump out a window and he's like, Oh my god, my wife or my living girlfriend jumped out the window and I just gave her all that new jewelry and he's taking it off. Like, and that's the thing. You, this story's weird enough. You don't have to be super sensational about it. I just thought that was a weird way to kind of go about it. Like, don't, again, I always say, don't lie to me. I'm reading this stuff to be entertained and to be kind of like, woo, intrigued and creeped out and stuff like that. Don't just make stuff, don't make stuff up. You should be like me and just get your facts wrong, because that's totally okay. Do you think that it would stand up in court that a ghost could testify against somebody? Before this case, I would think no. It was a hung jury. It didn't really work. It's not like they could bring her on. They didn't have the other woman at the trial like channeling her for the testimony. But as a juror, if you were sitting on that trial and you found out through discovery, like the defense lawyer saying that the only reason why they focused on this guy is because a woman says she was possessed by a ghost and named him. That's why they went to his apartment in the first place? Forget the fact that he they worked together. Forget the fact that he had been to her apartment before. The only reason why he came up on their radar was because a ghost possessed a woman and told that woman's husband. Would you believe that evidence? That's an interesting question. Because you could say, well, I don't believe that. But I believe these other pieces of evidence against them, these other circumstantial pieces of evidence. But if the way they got that evidence was from the ghost story, I don't know what to believe. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting debate. You have to wonder if this happens more, not more often than not, but if this has happened other times and the cops just don't talk about it. Like the cops are doing an investigation and they get someone, like some little girl being like, I know who killed my daddy. The ghost in the closet told me. Cop's like, what? The ghost never leaves my closet and he saw who killed my daddy. Okay, creepy sounding kid, what happened? Well, the ghost, the ghost man in the closet, the ghost man in the closet saw my uncle do it. I mean, would the cop, that cop's not going to put that in report. The cop's never going back to that house either. But it may steer the cop in the direction to start looking at that uncle. Who knows? Who knows? Either way, it's creepy to think that this guy thought he got away with it. But for some reason, or somehow, his victim's ghost possessed someone else and ended up pointing the finger at him from beyond the grave. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. 
but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.